You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Our Father, we ask that as we approach a, a topic like love, which your word reveals to be the very essence of who you are, that we do it with humility uh, and with a a desire to understand what your word says, not where our imaginations take us, not where our feelings take us, uh, but what does your word say and how does it prepare us to receive uh, the grace that you've promised us to know you for eternity in perfect love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, w- welcome. I know there's some new faces, so I want to do let's say, a quick review uh, because we haven't figured out perfectly what love is yet, surprisingly, right? But we've, we've got a good start. And where, where we, uh, we kind of, so just a quick overview of where we were and where we went. The first uh, is the rationale for why we do this, right? Because it is a completely overused and appealed to concept that we often uh, engage flippantly or carelessly. You know, we talk about love uh, in all kind, with all kinds of objects or, or references to what we think we love, or we, we, we use it casually, I think is the, way, the best way to sum it up. We use the idea or the concept casually, but it's a very powerful concept, despite the fact that romance tends to be attached to it more often than not, we also know that it's more than romance because we experience it in different forms. But pop culture has generated quite a few uh, imaginative ideas uh, of, or, and even high culture of what love is supposed to be. Most often romantic love is the ideal that's put in front of us. And then, of course, the, the degree to which we find it in music. Uh, last week, you know, you just think uh, all the songs, all the all the references in our, our head, just on one scroll through the radio, even if you listen to the radio anymore, um, will we'll tell you something to the degree which it affects all of our sort of collective imagination. All you need is love, right? It's a kind of all-embracing concept that's been distilled through uh, media and through. Uh, uh, other kinds of appropriation without a lot of reflection. So we think, oh, yes, of course, that is all we need. And there's kind of a half-truth there, you know, that there's something to that, right? Before uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney wrote it in, into song. And so the question we were left with is, what is it? What is it? That's where we began last week, that it is more than happiness. It's more than just simply duty or obligations. And our, our launching point for that uh, were a couple of items. Uh, the first is uh, to see the complexity of the idea through uh, the different kinds of relationships where we experience love. Uh, affection, families, is usually our first encounter with love, the, the parental bond the family bond, the sibling bond, um, the extended family, then friendships uh, as well have a kind of association of affection attached to them that's hard to define, but you know it when you experience it. Of course, the erotic or the romantic, which we experience in 
usually that's this sort of cultural appropriation uh, of it. It's this idea of um, uh, of kind of a union with uh, um, the the union of souls, so to speak. The 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 perfect complement to yourself um, uh, is sort of the ideal. That that fulfillment emotionally, sexually, etc. And then, of course, there's that governing idea of agape, the charity, the chief aim of love, which orders all the rest. And so that's one kind of approach we could take following C.S. Lewis, following the Greeks and our inheritance out of, out of Western thought. That's one approach we can take. Another approach, though, and where we ended last week is, well, okay, how do we begin to read the Bible, uh, the idea of love? And it's almost an impossibility, given the number of times that it's mentioned. You, you, you can walk away thinking, well, the whole, the whole thing's about love. And so how do you narrow it to, this is what the Bible says about it? It's the, the whole, from beginning to end, it, it's a love letter. It's a love story. But it, not, you know, not one you, you see on the Hallmark Channel, necessarily, or, or read in a, in a novel. It, there's something else going on. And a clue to that, I believe, is found in um, the very first mention of love in the Bible, a call to obedient sacrifice guided by faith and hope. And that very first mention is in Genesis 22 with the, with the sacrifice that, uh, of Isaac, the, the, the call of Abraham to the sacrifice of Isaac. It is a, it's a familial love between Abraham and his son, that Yahweh then transforms, in just a few verses, it's transformed into the entire picture of redemption, of redemptive love. Um, and it's there, actually, we find the first Hebrew word, love. Not, not, not with Adam and Eve, um, but with the sacrifice, uh, the potential sacrifice of Isaac, the call to sacrifice. So from its first mention, love is guided and controlled by faith and hope and the divine promise of blessing. I think as believers, as Christians, that has to be a starting point for thinking about the idea of love and then how it relates to these other areas of, of our life, other kinds of love that we may possess. And the conclusion then is this, God's love or agape, as the Greeks, the Greek word that we inherited, it makes other kinds of love both possible and rightly ordered. Okay? And that's my launching point for this morning. That, that's the launching point that I'd like to go with for the remaining uh, minutes we have together. So, to start, us, to start us out today, and we can stop if we have enough time for questions and conversation, but to start us out today and to point us in the right direction, I, I want to suggest that the biblical idea of love cannot be understood apart from three things. Okay, apart from three things with the picture of, the gen, of Genesis 22 and our minds uh, as, as our background. First, God's love for his creation and specifically for humans who are made in his image. The created order of love. We were created to love. That's why you don't have to be a Christian to know love or to feel love. It's part of our natural warp and woof, as the Scots say. It's part of our makeup, you see, 
to know love, and it, it, it emanates from God because we are made in His image. But the second point, of course, begins to, to throw us into a new set of questions and concerns, the problem of sin and transgression. We don't stay in that perfect created order of love. We live in an order of transgression, an inherited problem of sin. A very difficult word that is very difficult for modernity. We like love, and moderns love love, <laughs> but the sin part is more difficult. What does it do to the idea of love? And finally, the third element we need in place is the restoration and redemption of Christ to make sense of the first two. What we had at creation, the loss and the problem of transgression, and then redemption in Christ. Creation, fall, redemption. It's, it, it's the, it is the narrative of Scripture, and you cannot understand love without it. So, let's try to, to sort of autopsy this and dissect this just for a couple of minutes. Um, God creates and it is good. And it doesn't last but a chapter or so. And then we're, we're, we, got pro- we got a bad problem uh, that we're still wrestling with. God creates and it is good, but then the transgression enters. What does that mean? Well, we know how sin distorts. We know that that sin, that is that transgression, that alienation from the perfection of God, the will of God, the assertion of human will over and against God, it leads to all kinds of problems in our relationships. And it leads to all kinds of problems in what we desire. And it does so no less in how we understand love. Sin... Sin distorts the proper objects and intentions of our loves because it operates in violation of God's love. And God knew this from the beginning. We didn't fool him. There's no trick up our sleeve or some catch that God had to catch up with us and figure this out, okay? Otherwise, we're not talking about God, all right? But I think the first place, and when we talk about love in the modern world as an ideal, is it's an ideal that's broken. It's an ideal that is distorted. It's an ideal that we don't apply correctly. So if we take, apart from God's love, if we look simply at something like romantic love, or the erotic, or the family, storge, and friendships, philia, what we see is matters of the heart Matters of, as, as sin appropriates these things, they turn into power. They turn into matters of power, control, deception, manipulation, fear. And I, I even put self-expression in my little blue heart because I think self-expression has, is a part of, it can be a kind of deception of love. The idea that if we express ourselves certain ways in these contexts will be perfectly accepted and perfectly received because we've set the terms of what we want love to look like. An extension of our own egos, of our own sense of fulfillment. So I put that under this category of sin as distortion, the distortion of love. Okay. And at the heart of it, I think, is where it's not just the practice. So if you say, well, I, I, you know, I, I, I have felt this in a broken romantic 
relationship, this, 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 this trouble of love, so to speak, this problem of love. Or I have felt this in broken family relationships. Or I just can't seem to hold on to friendships or whatever it seems to be where we, we all, and the, the reason why church is great is because we've all experienced it, we can be honest. In, in each of these areas, we've had some, some kind of encounter with this distortion. But I think we've we got to push further as Christians. We, we, we've got to, I think God wants us to push further into his word that the idea itself, it could be distorted. Maybe it's even how we're conceiving of it. And for that, I would I point us way back to uh, St. Augustine and, and, his, and his confessions. If you've never read the confessions, I, I just really encourage you to, to do it. Um, it's easy. It's raw and it's real. Um, and um, in his book three of the Confessions, he goes off to college. He's about late teens, somewhere in there. He goes to Carthage, where he finds himself in the midst of a, in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. It's not exactly a college motto you want, but many could put it on there, I suppose. I had not yet fallen in love. This is the point. I had not yet fallen in love. But I was in love with the idea of it. I began to look around for some object for my love, since I badly needed to love something. To love and to have my love return was my heart's desire. Now, if you get if you get submerged in this in this book and you and you, and you make it all the way through, you find out this is kind of the dividing point. Of the, this is the whole point. He was loving the wrong way. He was loving based upon platonic, uh, at a platonic inheritance, a Roman inheritance. We might say an American inheritance. I mean, it, you can fill in the blank, but that was his context. He was loving the wrong way, and it's not until he uh, later, as, as, as an adult, he is converted, and he realizes that the object of his love has been wrong, and therefore that his heart has been restless until he finds rest in thee. The Latin word he gives this is cupiditas, where we get our word cupidity, which I know you use every day. But, but cupiditas, wrongly ordered desire, is what we want to remember. That's what Augustine talks about. The brilliance of St. Augustine is he it takes it through his mature work. He shows how this applies not only to our relationships, but to politics, our understanding of history, cupiditas, wrongly ordered desire. The object of our desire shapes everything else that's misshapen about what we love. And another paraphrase of Augustine is we are what we love. We become what we love. There's um, no better way to teach children this lesson than the Lord of the Rings and that little ugly creature who has the ring and he becomes physically deformed. Uh, as well as spiritually. It's an Augustinian theme, that he's, a biblical theme he's picking up on there. So what does this mean? If love can be disordered, and if our object of love can be cupidity, it can be that wrong, wrongly oriented desire, I think we have to remember a couple of things in light of Scripture. Love does not become bad because it is disordered. Rather, Disordered love misappropriates and misunderstands its proper object, God. 
eternity, our souls in, in fellowship with God. The love is not bad. It's the practice of it. It's the understanding of it. It's how it's directed and applied. That's what the sinfulness of love can be. Okay? So it's a tricky distortion that we have to take. So it's not wrong to want romance. It's not wrong to want an ordered family at peace over Christmas. It's not wrong to want some type of normalcy with your friendships. That's not what's wrong. Say, oh, well, God forgive me. I wanted those things, you know, or I failed at those things. The wrongness of it is when it's, it's, it's misshapen and taken apart from the overall agape, the love of God, as it shapes us in those relationships with each other. So it's the application of the setting of the expectation apart from God's will, apart from that, that message in Genesis 22, that reordering along faith and hope. What has God given us in, in this process? Well, he's given us the law, and we talk a lot about law and gospel in our church, as we should. And in some ways, theologically speaking, the law was given as, as a way of exposing distorted love. Read, you know, read the scary book of Leviticus. <laughs> yeah. By the end of it, well, you won't move much because you'll be terrified, right? But it, what, what do I do now? How do I sacrifice a dove? Or but, but, but also, it's exposing this problem of love or, if I could translate a little bit, cupiditas Wrongly ordered desire is a kind of idolatry. might be a better Old Testament way of saying it. It's a kind of idolatry. It's putting the object of hope and faith in something other than God, which means the result is the love of something other than God. And the, the passage that, that I jumped out at me was from Jonah, that when we cling to worthless idols, uh, th- those who do this turn away from God's love. It's redirecting, it's, it's reorienting our love, our cupiditas, toward this. Okay? All of this is to set up, well, where's our hope then, right? And, of course, we know the Sunday school answer is Jesus, right? Well, okay, that's true, it is, but what does this mean? How do you achieve, or how does God bring about rightly ordered love in us? The Latin word here is caritas. It's our root word for charity. Caritas. Even it has root word to the heart. Corde, the heart, the caritas. We also can, it also has been translated grace. Grace. So rightly ordered love is charity. It's the charity of God. It's the love of God. Agape is the Greek. Agape, charity. It's the love of God that begins and ends with the person and work of Christ. It's the only way that we can appropriately, rightly begin to understand the idea of love. This means it's more than a feeling or a desire. It's more than simply affection. And it's much more than simply the claim of a personal preference or identity. What you love may make you who you are in your own mind, but it doesn't mean that you have understood love correctly. Rightly ordered love involves a new understanding of reality. 
where love is restored to God's proper design and purpose for our lives. And this is where we'll turn to Scripture the next few minutes, because this restoration, I would urge us to understand, this restoration of our idea of love starts here before it can translate into the romantic, the family, the friendships. The restoration involves coming under a new authority. It it involves authority. It involves a pattern of obedience. This is the hard part of love, not the fun part. This is the anti-modern part, the counter-cultural message. Coming under love involves a new kind of authority. And for that, I want to turn first to the Gospels, okay? Because, as you know, uh, as you know, um, uh, the, the greatest commandment is often cited as a reference point for understanding what's the greatest commandment. Love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? And we see it in all of the synoptic Gospels, right? And people often will reference this. Well, as long as I do that, I've got it right. Well, you do, but there's a context, and that context is one of authority and obedience. In Matthew, for example, Matthew 22, 36 through 38, okay? Matthew 22. You know what the context of all of this is? Every one of them in the synoptics right here, the Sadducees. The Sadducees are pre- the, the lawyers are pressing the lawyers are pressing Christ Jesus on his identity and who he says he is. So the context of the greatest commandment emerges out of this challenge. So he says, "You shall love the Lord your God." They ask him what the greatest teaching is. He said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your mind." And that's the great one from Deuteronomy. The second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself, the law of love manifest in Christ. And then immediately, as the Pharisees are gathered together, they turn, Jesus turns to them and asks them a question. Immediately after this, who do you say the Christ is? You see, he doesn't allow love just to float as Uh, an ideal or an abstraction or something that can just be entertained in the the pharisaical imagination. Who do you say the Christ is? Because that is where you begin to understand what love is, both in terms of loving God and your neighbor. And and then the same thing if you go over uh, to Mark. And Mark 12... um, Mark 12, um, 28 through 34, okay? Jesus answers them in the same context of the the pharisaical inquisition. Hear, O Israel, the Lord uh, our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe says to him, yes, teacher, you're right. Um, And to love with all the heart and with all the understanding and strength is to love one's neighbor as oneself. And Jesus responds to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Again, an eschatological reality. You are not far from that which I am inaugurating. Not an abstraction, not an ideal, not a feeling. 
you're not far from my authority as Lord in this regard. And then Luke 10 uh, does something similar. Uh, Luke, Luke 10, we have a similar kind of message of authority. A message of authority. Um, in Luke 10, 27, right? Let me find it. Love the Lord your God. Yeah, you got it. All your heart, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, Jesus says, you will live who have done this. But if you go back just a bit in the Gospel of Luke, Christ is re- just before this conversation, he's, he's rejoicing in the Holy Spirit. And he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son. All things have been handed over to me by the Father. My point with this, and, the, and the, the point to take away when you when you hear people say, "Well, it's all about just loving my neighbor as myself." Well, there are a couple of thoughts. One, as it is, emerges out of the law, as it emerges out of the revelation of God's law, it is fulfilled in Christ, and it's never separated from the authority of Christ, the person and authority of Christ. So, love is never a matter of free willing feeling or desire, or imagination, it is a question of authority first. John, John has a similar passage um, in, in John 13, 31 through 35. You know, of course, we don't count him among the, the synoptics, but uh, John reads a little different in, in the order of how he wrote things. He gives the new commandment. Now is the Son of Man glorified. And by the way, this is after the betrayal of Judas in the supper. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so now I ask you, where am I going? Where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By, all, by this, they will know you are my disciples. Now again, love has an object. Love has both an object and an expression. It is the glorification of Christ and the Father through the betrayal and then the crucifixion and the resurrection. It is a sign of discipleship. And in the next passage, Jesus makes clear he speaks by the authority of the Father. Why all this? Why, all this? Why swim through all these words, right? Because they matter. Because when you run into, let's even say, a Christian who says all that Christianity is is loving your neighbor as yourself. They've said something very profound that has much more context to it. And we should always remember that. That even if that is the summary of the law of love, the law of love is under a pattern of authority that can, we cannot separate ourselves from. And that authority is the work of Christ as Lord. Right? So when we say all we need is love, there's deep truth. And there's deep truth in how that can affect our relationships.
as well. But if we want to understand it rightly as believers, we cannot understand love apart from authority. And I, as I have next, but we're running out of time and I may have to wait till next week and truth. Love is not just an analog of authority under the biblical model. It is an analog of truth. And for that, I'll just go ahead and give you John 1, 4 is where we're going next week. Okay, because our time is, is short. So we go to the epistles of John and we see that this is, long, this is where the God is love passage is. Okay, this is the famous God is love. Another sort of trope that can be used to sort of silence any kind of authority or appeal to truth. You say, well, uh, God is love, therefore I love, therefore I'm doing what God wants, right? But what I would say and what I want to draw next week on as we run out of time is that God is love, but love is not God. There's a difference. And we'll, we'll, we can do more careful exegesis of the passage next week as we get to the incarnation and the meaning of the incarnation at Christmas. But what I would encourage us to think about today is that we cannot shape love into whatever object or form we want it to be and be successful and be, frankly, uh, right. It's a tough word without the reference points to authority and truth in Christ. Though that, that has to govern the starting point of what we love, whether it's in our romantic relationships. You cannot divorce it from God's Word, whether it's our families or whether it's our friendships. The only thing that can bring us to a proper understanding to keep us from falling into distortion or sort of willful or even unconscious uh, sort of expectations or desires or um, uh, ideas of fulfillment is is the agape love of the cross. The, the agape love, the, the love of Christ that then reorients us, not just in that hope of the resurrection, our bodies are actually going to be transformed, but our whole idea of love is being transformed into something we've never known this side of the fall. We've never known it. We've only tasted it in part this side of the fall the whole christian message is i can bring you into a perfect love you can't even imagine so far beyond what the beatles were able to sing about or whoever sings about today right and that that involves both authority and truth and we can pick up there next uh, next week to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.com.